Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Din and Daf. I am Alana Steinhain, and this is where we conceptualize halacha based on a case study from Daf Yomi that week. We are in the midst of a three-part series. We are actually at the end on the halacha categories of Cheresh Shote Vekatan. Today, we are going to talk about a katan or a katana, a minor, and the evolution of the age of that um, category. But first, I want to thank Miriam Adler, an audiologist who reached out to us and said, wait, if we're talking about cheresh and chereshet, we're talking about somebody who cannot hear and cannot speak. It is really important to point out to people the existence and the success of cochlear implants, cochlear implants that stimulate the auditory nerve and are is able to help people hear and even able to help people speak if implanted early enough in a manner that is indistinguishable from if they had been born with hearing. It is true that we completely say that people with cochlear implants are considered pikeach, pikach, shomea, shomat. Absolutely, 100%, such an important intervention. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're going to add it to the notes on the sheet from the previous year. So today we're going to talk about a katan and a katana. Oh, I should also say, and keep it coming, this is the beautiful, the beauty of having multiple expertises within a community of learners. Thank you. So a katana and katana, what would, I, what would you tell me is the gil for mitzvot, the age for mitzvot? You would say for a girl, it's 12 in a day. For a boy, it's 13 in a day. But you would be surprised to see that that is actually something that evolved as a uniform standard and was not always the case. Why is this important to point out that there was an evolution, that it was not always the case? I think for two reasons. Number one, I think it's interesting to consider that when we talk about Chazal, we don't talk about one uniform concept. We talk about an evolving body of thought, right? We're talking about Tanaitic literature, first, late first century, second century, early third century, common era. Then we're talking about Amoraic literature, we're talking about, you know, mid third century to at least beginning of sixth century. Then you're talking about the editing of the Gemara, which goes on for at least a hundred years, maybe more, right? There is actually an evolution and it's worth being aware of that evolution because frankly, it makes the, it makes the realities of this kind of come alive, that they're arguing and figuring things out and things are being consolidated and things are changing. The second is that there's a particular um there's a particular pattern that we see within Khazalika thought, which is often from the more subjective and individualized in earlier Khazalik material to the more conceptualized or principle, uniform principle, as you get to later material. You do see things like this in various situations where you'll find a principle, for example, in the Gemara, where the Mishnah didn't give you a principle. It gave you particular examples of something that maybe added up to a principle, but there was no principle that was explicit. Or maybe even what the Gemara tells you as a principle might um, conflict with something in the Mishnah that was an example that seems to go against that principle. And the Gemara's job is going to be to figure out how to offer an Okimta, how to offer an a possibility of fitting that reading, a, a different reading of the Mishnah in for the principle to hold or to attribute that Mishnah to somebody else who disagrees with the principle. But the point is, you do see a move from what Professor Leib Moskowitz would call casuistics, which is sort of 
individual anecdotal, if such and such happens, then such and such, to conceptualization, which is sort of a formalized, uh, principled approach to things, which doesn't always capture the details, the grainy details of particular situations. But on the other hand, it does help you offer sort of a transparent and uniform standard for all, which is very good, or for most, um, which is very good for a legal system. There's actually a third reason I should say, which is we all know anybody who has been a kid, who has raised a kid, who has observed a kid, you know that people mature in different stages, right? And you might be mature for issue X at a certain stage, but only mature for issue Y at a different stage. And I think that the early Tanaitic material that we're going to look at, the early, the Mishnayot that we're going to look at today, actually, they are more, um, they focus on that much more than simply saying, okay, this is the age of adulthood, right? It's for this issue, this is the age of the adulthood. And for that issue, this is the age of adulthood. And I think appreciation of that, even though today we say 12 and 13, appreciation of that reality is really important. And it kind of stands behind the evolution of this concept in halacha. So let's get started. I want to get started with a Mishnah that is famous. It is famous because at any age, um, <laughs> you know, it's actually the reason why I would say it's famous is because when people are looking for something to say at people's birthdays, um, sometimes they will, excuse me, they will look to this Mishnah. Um, I'm just trying to share my screen. Give me one second. So if I were to ask you, can you find this Mishnah for me? Mishnah Avot 521, hey kafalif, etc. Right? When a boy is five, teach him Chumish, when a boy is 10, teach him Mishnah, when a boy is 13, time for an obligation in mitzvot. What's interesting about this is that this Mishnah does not appear in the Rambam's version of Pirkei Avot. It does not appear in the most authorized manuscript, authoritative manuscript, such as the Kaufman manuscript of Mishnah, and a number of Rishonim, including the Me'iri, point out that this Mishnah probably is not original to Pirkei Avot when the other Mishnayot around it were um, collected, but is a little bit of a later addition. And you find that actually when it's quoted in the Gemara, this Mishnah, um, or I should say Breitot are quoted in the Gemara, a Breitot is quoted in the Gemara, that disagrees with this Mishnah. And one reason might be that this Mishnah may be of a little bit later provenance. Does that mean end of the Tanaitic period? Does that mean beginning of the Amoric period? Not sure, but it does explain the fact that everywhere else in Mishnah, you don't seem to have a uniform age for Gil Mitzvot. In fact, it seems to be that depending on the issue, the age may be different. I want to give you one example. I want to give you several examples, but here's our first example, right? First example is from the mitzvah of Aliyah Leregel, going on pilgrimage to the Beit HaMikdash three times a year on our major holidays, on three of our major holidays and bringing specifically an olatriya, a particular um, korban uh, that is meant for that time. So the opening mission in Chagiga says, hakol chayavim bi-re'iya, everyone, every male is required in re'iya, chlotz mi except for a cherish, somebody who cannot hear and cannot speak, a shotes, somebody who is experiencing psychosis or delusions, 
and a katan, a minor. So I would have said to you, great, so a boy under the age of 13 does not have to go. But that is not what the Mishnah says. Mishnah says, Ezehu katan, let me tell you what a katan is. What is a katan? says, I'll tell you what a katan is. A katan is somebody who is unable to ride on his father's shoulders from the entrance of Yerushalayim to Harabayit. So figure we are talking about somebody who is very little, right? Somebody who is an infant, somebody who is maybe an early toddler. We're looking, it has to be a child who can stay on dad's shoulders for all that time. That's what Beit Shammai says. Meaning, if that child can do that, then even at the age of four, they're chayav, they're required to do aliyah l'regel. So sounds like a katan, the cutoff there is what, you know, younger than five, right? That's a far cry from 13. Well, Beit Hill, Omrim, Beit Hill says, no, 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 I need them to be a little bit older. Anybody who cannot hold their dad's hand and walk from the entrance of Yerushalayim to Har Habayit, because of course it is the three pilgrimage festival with the word regal. You have to be able to walk, right? So for Beit Hillel, you have to be a little bit older. You have to be able to walk and hold daddy's hand while you're walking. But it's still a far cry from age 13. Why is this the determination? It sounds like this is the determination because we determine who is chayav of men to go on Aliyah regal if they can walk, if they can make it, if they can. The physical capability is actually the deciding variable. There's nothing here about dot, right? In fact, maybe the kid who's on daddy's shoulders, I mean, maybe there's very little chinuch there. Maybe the kid won't remember anything. Maybe the kid, right? Like what? Not totally sure, but there seems to be an independent requirement for them to be there and a requirement thus for their parents, for their fathers to take them. So it seems like physical capability and not da'at, or by the way, uh, I should say not physical maturity. I meant not physical maturity in the puberty kind of way, but there is a certain physical maturity here, right? So we see something similar, this notion of kind of physical capability as the deciding variable, which is, it's a little bit more than physical capability. It's also a little bit of a kind of responsibility independence when it comes to sitting in a sukkah. So the Mishnah in sukkah, Bet Chet says, Nashim Bavadim Uktanim Turim Min HaSukkah. The category of women, the category of slaves, and the category of minor are exempt from the sukkah. Now, look at what happens next. You might say that maybe this first line might be indicating, oh yeah, tanim, meaning, it's talking about boys under the age of 13, right? But then the Mishnah says, katan she'eno tzarech li'imo chayav b'sukkah. A katan who does not need his mother is obligated in sukkah. Now, what do we mean by does not need his mother? Presumably what we mean is this kid can independently sit somewhere and every time they need something to eat or every time they you know, need to go to the bathroom or every time, whatever it is, they don't have to cry for their mother. So there's a little bit of a physical capability here. And there's also a little bit of a, an emotional uh, maturity here. So is this the katan meant in the first clause of this Mishnah or is this disagreeing? And this is even better. Look at this. 
it happened that Shammai, as in the founder of Beit Shammai, right? That Shammai's daughter-in-law gave birth. And what did he do? He took off the thatched roof above her bed. And put schach on top of it over her bed for the baby. Now, this is a one-day-old baby, a one-week-old baby. What is going on here, right? So what is a katan, right? It could be that Shammai just doesn't have the category of katan for certain things. It could be that his category of katan, not nah, sounds like he doesn't have the category of katan for certain things. We actually find a similar situation, and I didn't quote it here, but we find a similar situation in, I think it's a Tosefta, about um, fasting on Yom Kippur where they had to force Shammai to go home to feed his kids, right? So the question of katan, maybe there were even some who felt like for some things, katanim are not even exempt, right? So it even is kind of more intense, right? We also have situations in which executive functioning is actually the deciding variable. And you could say physical capability, but I think nowadays, because we understand this from a sort of the different kinds of abilities that children um, develop over time and skills that they work on, I do think that it's very useful to think about it as executive functioning, right? So the mechilta of Rabbi, Yishma, uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and the mechilta of Rabbi Shmuel, two different midrashe um, halacha on the book of Shmot, they have parallel comments, slightly different, which you'll see in a minute, but they have parallel comments about tefillin and minors. Lefish and Emar, because it says, it should be as a sign on your arm. I might think that this should also apply to minors. And that would be logical. Because mezuzah is a positive commandment. And tefillin is a positive commandment. And might I add, both are positive commandments that have a cloth of Torah or multiple cloths of Torah inside them. So there is a parallel to them, right? Right? If you learned or maybe taught about mezuzah, that it applies to minors living in a house, living in an edifice, just as much as it applies to adults, you might think that tefillin should also apply, right? Talmud Lomar, therefore the Pasuk says, v'shamarta et which seems to mean, and you shall observe this law. But the Midrash Halacha is going to say, Vishamarta, as you shall safeguard. Lo amarti ela I only said this, says God, for somebody who knows how to safeguard their tefillin. Mikanam ruchachamim, katan hayodea lishmoratfilav. A katan who knows how to keep track of their tefillin, to take care of their tefillin. You make them tefillin. Or in the mechilta of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, chayav 
they are required in tefillin. Now, obviously, obligated in tefillin is a stronger version than you make them tefillin because you might say, oh, you make them tefillin, so they'll practice, they'll wear it. Apparently, um, in Yemenite communities, I don't know if people do this today. I really don't. I'd be curious if anybody, Taymani, can tell us this or who knows about that community that they start wearing tefillin much earlier. Um, but I do think it's interesting, especially, you know, given right now that we just bought my son his tefillin for his bar mitzvah. And our biggest issue is, is he going to lose them? <laughs> right. It's really interesting that they might say a kid who's precocious enough to care for their tefillin earlier, they should get tefillin earlier. Right. So here it's kind of executive functioning, physical ability, maturity. But I love to see, could you imagine you might have somebody who has to sit in a sukkah but doesn't yet wear tefillin, right? Who um, can already go on Aliyah L'Regel, right? So for some things, they're this, and for some things, they're that, and for, right? It's kind of an amazing, uh, very different reality, right? It's like, how many bar mitzvah parties do I have to make? The answer would be none, right? Because here, they're just doing this, and they're just doing that, and they're just doing that. Uh, life might be a little bit easier, right? So this is the kind of, um, you know, it seems like lowering of the age of when a person might reach Gil Mitzvot, right? And I do notice that all of these are examples for boys. And I wish we had more example for girls. And we will look at a few examples for girls, but because a lot of these are mitzvot say Shazman Grama or our mitzvot where Chazal darshan that they are for boys, it ends up being um, focused on boys. But we will see a little bit about girls as well. One of the things that I think is quite interesting is not only do we have the age getting earlier, getting younger, but sometimes we have the age getting older. I want to show you an example of that too, right? So the Mishnah in Shkalim, where it talks about machatzira shekel, the half shekel, now, recall the half shekel is to be paid by males 20 and older. And it's just interesting to see the language that is used for somebody who is younger than 20. On the first of Adar, they make an announcement, we're going to collect machatzira shekel, because of course, on the first of Nisan, a month later, they're going to use the machatzira shekels that they collect, machatziota shekel, or all the shekelim that they collect, to buy um, communal korbanot, korbanot sibor, right? On the 15th of Adar, shulchanot hayu yoshvin you would find money money changers would sit in the province. Now it might be in Yerushalayim, it might be in different cities, but the point is people would be able to bring whatever their currency is and get the uh, equivalent in Shkalim, right? So that they could give their machzir shekel. Once it was the 25th father, and we're getting really close to the deadline, right? They would sit in the Mikdash, in some sort of the environs of the Mikdash. And once they were sitting in the Mikdash, what they would find is that if there were people who were not paying up their Machatzira Shekel, they would, you know, have people go to their house and collect collateral, right? As a um, sort of like a lien on the money so that they would make sure that they had the equivalent value of machatzida shekel. And et mashkinin, who would they do this from? Who would they collect collateral from? Meaning who's chayav to give machatzida shekel? 
Levi'im, Yisraelim, Gerim, Vavadim, Shukharim, male Levites, male Israelites, male converts, male um, freed slaves, Avalo, Nashim, but not women, Vavadim, or those who were enslaved, Uktanim, or minors. Now, a minor here means below the age of 20, right? Like that's also like, welcome to my 20-year-old's bar mitzvah. Like, no, right? Combined weddings and bar mitzvahs. But the point here is that a katan does not clearly, does not mean 13. It, it means somebody who's younger than 20 years old. And it's interesting to note, and Gilat notes this in his article, that that does persist for certain things. When we actually do think about the age of 20, we actually think of that as kind of public adulthood. But I'll leave people who want to read the article. I mean, I really encourage anybody who uh, has the time and has the interest. I think it's a really fascinating um, article. But here, what we did is we went from making Gil Mitzvot younger to making Gil Mitzvot, at least for Machatira Shekel, older. Okay. Now I want to talk about physical maturity, right? We've spoken a little bit about physical capabilities. You can be on dad's shoulders. You can walk with him. Um, uh, physical and emotional independence. You can sit in a sukkah and kind of eat yourself on your own. You don't need mommy to feed you and you don't need to cry for her. A little bit of maybe executive functioning, which also includes some physical, but also kind of mental maturity um, of being able to be responsible for one's tefillin. And now let's talk about the more typical physical maturity, puberty, right? There are plenty of things for which puberty should be the cutoff because we're actually dealing with things that relate to sex. Makes sense. So for example, right? A girl who has had two pubic hairs already, this vav is mistaken, she can do chalitza or she can do yibum if she's in that situation, right? Here's where the vav should be. And she is obligated in all mitzvot in the Torah. Ah, finally, we see something that tells us, give me an age. Now notice, it connects it to physical maturity right? But specifically to puberty, but it also finally gives us an age. And likewise, a boy who has two pubic hairs is required, is obligated in all mitzvot in the Torah. So says um, Gilat, what we see here is sort of the combination of something that we see elsewhere in Tanaitic literature, which is that puberty is part of what determines when a child becomes an adult for the purpose of mitzvot. But we finally see, and he argues that this is later within the Tanaitic timeframe than some of the other examples, where we finally see a consolidation of 12, 13. Not that it says 12 and 13, right? But it's getting us close because it's the age of puberty. And it's trying to say uniform, uniform, all mitzvot, right? So there's something going on here where we're basically saying, look, it's not when you 
can care for your tefillin. It's not when you can sit by yourself in the sukkah. It's not, right? So all those things, the Gemara is later going to explain, oh, those are all for chinuch purposes, right? They're not really, you're not really chayv at those times. They're all for chinuch purposes. Really, puberty is the time and we're going to connect it to 12 and 13. And this is kind of the Mishnah that even though it doesn't say 12 and 13, it's kind of getting us there. But even within the conversations within Sifrut Tanait or Sifrut Tanaim, the uh, Tanaitic literature, even within that, there is an understanding that as we're in this kind of puberty realm, a person's mind and understanding are changing even during that time. And I want to point this out, not as like an undermining of the previous Mishnah, but just to say how it still remains a little bit complicated and how even when we talk about Da'at, right? Like we said, Shota and Katan, one of the reasons why they're assumed to not have certain responsibilities in Halacha is it's assumed that they don't have the same Da'at that's required. Now, what we've seen so far is like, we're talking about somebody who can ride or can't ride on somebody's shoulders. I wouldn't have necessarily thought about that as dat. Maybe somebody who can watch over their tefillin. Maybe I would think of that as dat. I'm not sure. But so far, the things that we've seen, not so much around dat as much as it seems to be about physical capability or emotional maturity or ability to um, take some responsibility, which maybe is part of dat. But I think that this Mishnah um, in Nida Perakeh actually is the one that gives us a conversation about that most clearly, right? And it's the outlier. But, and it's talking about a person who makes nidarim or a person who offers things to hektish. Bat achat shana v'yom echad nidareha nivdakin. Somebody who is 11, a girl who is 11 and a day, we check her nidarim, meaning we ask her, do you know what this nedar means? Do you know who you're vowing to? Do you understand what you're doing, right? And presumably if she says yes, then it's kayam. Oh, look at that. So even that is something that's subjective because you can have an 11-year-old who does understand an 11-year-old who doesn't understand. But shtemes revyomechad, but once she's 12 and a day, her nidarim stand. Huh? Meaning we don't ask her if she knows or if she doesn't know. So here, oh, 12 is looking like we finally have a 12, right? Maybe we presume she knows. By the way, her whole 12th year, which means from age 11 to age 12, anytime she offers a nidar, anytime she offers uh, something to hectish, we ask her again, right? Because maybe when she was 11 and a month, she didn't understand. But when she's 11 and seven months, she does understand, right? So we see a really important development that's happening that year. Now for a boy, if a boy makes a neder, if a boy promises to hectish at the age of 12 and a day, we ask him, do you know what you're giving the nether to? Do you know who you're giving to the hectic to? Do you understand it? And if he understands it, then great. And his nether is kayam. If he doesn't understand it, it's not. But as soon as he's 13 and a day, his nedarim are kayam. But his whole 13th year, meaning from age 12 to age 13, 
We ask him if he makes an eder, if he makes hektish, who are you being who are you being noder to? Who are you being makdish to? And kodim lizmanazeh, earlier than this age, meaning earlier than 11 for a girl, earlier than 12 for a boy, even if the kids say, we know that what we're doing is we're making an eder l'ashem. We know that what we're doing is we're being makdish something to Hashem. Sorry, below the age of 11 for a girl, below the age of 12 for a boy. That doesn't count, even if they're very bright, even if they're very precocious, even if they have dot. Uh, no. After this time, meaning after age 12 for a girl, after age 13 for a boy, even if they say, we actually don't understand the, the weightiness of this to whom we're offering this nether, to whom we're offering this hektish. Nonetheless, nidra nether of hektish on hektish. Their nether counts and their hektish counts, right? Here you really see that on the one hand, we recognize that there is sort of changing da'at, changing understanding at this age, this sort of tween to teen. And yet the Mishnah says to us, okay, 12 for a girl, 12 and a day for a girl, 13 and a day for a boy. Their neder is a neder, even if they say they don't really understand the weightiness of what they're doing, right? So here you, you see, it's not that the transformation is complete. It's not complete, right? Because you, it's not like 12 is the cutoff and 13 is the cutoff and that's it. Because for the year before, we're willing to see if we can give them, right? Now, of course, this is all coming from reading Psukim in the Torah that kind of describe you know, Ishkia flee neder. The the way that the um, that Chazal explained that is, you can have someone mufla samach ish, somebody who's able to do this. You know, express a neder, but they're not yet considered an adult. So that's what this Mishnah is doing. But suffice it to say, I think what we've seen so far is that we this process of becoming age 12 and a day and age 13 and a day, it is actually a process because it mirrors the fact that for different aspects of halacha, kids may be ready, able to understand, able to perform, able to do. Um, and nonetheless, ultimately we come to the uniformity of 12 and 13. And you can understand why we come to the uniformity of 12 and 13, which is just assumed um, within the Gemara. Um, and certainly later, why we come to the uniformity of 12 and 13. First of all, it's around puberty. Second of all, it's around the maturity of the dot. Um, third of all, I would say you do need a uniform standard. I mean, what are you going to have? One kid whose you know, uh, marriage counts and another kid whose marriage doesn't count because of their dot and not because of their age. It's It gets a little bit complicated. So the desire to represent true experience um, and lived growth of children's minds, bodies, and capabilities alongside the desire to have a uniform standard that is going to allow society to function, uh, you see how those two come together uh, ultimately to push in the direction of uniformity around ages 12 and 13. Thanks everybody for learning with me. Um, Wishing you all continued chizuk and b'sirot tovot.